I said I always remember the wood grain beneath my feet in a busy street. I never said I was angry, but I think I'm still in misery. But it's what I needed, and it took me by surprise. Sometimes I think I'm bound What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Shot Callers, a 48 Minutes NBA special podcast. I know normally when the word Shot Callers comes up, you hear Kyle Brandon, but Kyle apparently got called to do the real world thing, so I'm filling in today. Tim Daniel, but as always, with my man, 100 grand, Ben Brown. What is up, man? What's going on, my brother? We're talking your squad today. Man, I am so excited. I've been a Pacer, Pacer fan since like 93, 94, Duncan Dutchman. Reggie Miller, the Davis boys. I'm, I'm so excited for this pod. Yes, and Ben was awesome enough to get a great guest for us. Really awesome to have. Joining us, he is the Pacers sideline reporter. He does the Pacers pre- and post-game show for Fox Sports Indiana. Welcome to the show, Jeremiah Johnson. Jeremiah, welcome to 48 Minutes. It's an honor to be here. Glad to uh, talk to a couple of Midwest guys and a diehard Pacers fan as well. You know, I grew up a Pacers fan, and I can remember going to the games at Market Square Arena. And, yes, sir. Um, I just feel honored and blessed to have the job. Now I get in to cover the team that, that I grew up cheering for, and it's been a lot of fun. Absolutely, man. It's uh, it's really cool when we when we decided to do all these teams. I mean, the first one I pulled off the table was the Pacers because <laughs> uh, I've always been a fan. Um, I got, I've got buddies around me, of course. The Bulls were hot in the 90s, and everybody was riding all that, but... I was a ride or die, Reggie Miller, Rick Smiths, the Davis Twins, Workman. I loved all those guys, so I'm really excited about this pod and talk about our 2018-19 Pacers. Well, the good news is, you know, when you talk about the Pacers, I think that there is a chance we're starting to see the foundation, and we saw it last season for maybe a sustained run with some of the, you know, the names and faces you mentioned in the 90s that became so popular, and I, I like going into this season with some stability and some familiarity because for so many of the last three or four seasons you know every pregame show in the first week or two we were introducing fans to new players and Mm -hmm. there aren't as many new players and it's nice to have guys back that you want to have back not just because their contract says that you know they've got to be here and so I think you know with what happened last year there's nothing but optimism and excitement for this season yeah I think that these guys are really excited I, I enjoy the team that we have I enjoy our roster um, I like our additions, um, Tyreek Evans, Doug McDermott. Notice Holiday. he says our. Oh, yeah. Our. <laughs> That's uh, okay. Fans oh, are yeah, allowed to man. do that. We, we, we try not to do I'm that out, on the broadcast. I'm outnumbered <laughs> here, Jeremiah. See, I'm outnumbered on this show. So Yeah, oh, well, yeah. full disclosure, I'm a Pacers employee but uh, working <laughs> for Fox Sports Indiana. But we still try not to say our, but I, I feel you in your descriptions, and I won't stop you. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> uh, so my my first question is, is – um, we uh, have looked at the emergence of Victor Oladipo, um, just his leadership, uh, the way he led them through the, the season and the playoffs. Um, what do you see for him for 2018-19? Like, I, I'm really excited that this is going to be an MVP caliber season for him. Yeah, you know, the thing is, he did that last season when he'd already signed a new contract. So you can't say that it was just one of those things where he was in a contract year and he was, you know, trying to earn his money and then he's got it and now he'll relax. I mean, he already had that contract. He wanted to prove that he was better than he'd shown in his first four NBA seasons. And he showed that. But I'll just go back to 
being in that locker room at the end of uh, Game Seven in Cleveland, and, and that was a series that, you know, when the series started, I don't, I don't know that it was an ideal matchup. I thought the Pacers match up okay with Cleveland in that situation, but no one was picking the Pacers to win, and I thought they definitely had every chance to win that series. But in that locker room, there was no feeling of satisfaction because they were close, and I just can. You know, I can vividly recall what Victor was kind of looking like and what he was doing, and a lot of it came out a day or two later and that he was texting his trainer, mm-hmm. you know, immediately after and said, when do we get started? And just knowing a little bit about what he's done in Miami and in his offseason and how everything that he started last offseason has continued this offseason in terms of his dedication to his body and to, you know, working out and preparing. And, and he got a little bit of a taste, and he wants more. And I just... There are some guys you could maybe say, okay, they're at that point in their career, they're going to relax, and Victor's not at that place. So I can see nothing else happening but him continuing to improve. The key for the Pacers is can they put some other maybe playmakers, some shot makers alongside of him, especially in the backcourt or the wing, so he doesn't get double teamed as much. Because he's not Michael Jordan or LeBron James. I mean, he's going to struggle at times when he's double teamed, so you've got to have some other options, but just knowing Victor and his personality and what I saw last season, even dating back to Indiana University, I covered him when he was at mm-hmm. IU, but I, there's no chance that he's going to relax and let up. He will go as far as his talent will take him, and he'll get everything out of his talent, and I think that he can still improve. Awesome. So you mentioned Michael Jordan on that, and I just have to laugh at this because <clears throat> so October 31st, Halloween, I was actually at Banker's Life. I was at the Kings-Pacers game. Uh, Victor Oladipo, to put in context, had just been named Eastern Conference Player of the Week. The place went nuts to introduce him there. And, I mean, the Kings were garbage, as we know. They were blowing him out. They were beating him up and down the court like it was nothing. Old Depot's like a fast break at some point in the third quarter. The game's a 25-point game at this point. Old Depot throws down this dunk. The guy four or five rows behind me, like, I knew you guys had Old Depot fever, and I was loving it even as a Bulls fan. Uh, <laughs> but this guy behind me goes, man... He reminds me of Michael Jordan. Like, you guys were really feeling Oladipo. <laughs> you know what, though? That guy is not the only one. My dad has said the exact same thing after watching the first couple of weeks and just kind of the way he carried himself. A couple of times during the season, he would make a late shot, and he would give a little bit of a shoulder shrug like we've seen uh, from Jordan. And then there, I think it was even a dunk in Chicago where he kind of went up and he kind of clutched the ball and kind of carried it across his body. And I'm like, that kind of reminds me of Jordan as well. Now, no one's honestly going to compare the two, but just some of the mannerisms, and I would even say some of the leadership, uh, that's not far-fetched. So unless maybe that was my dad that you're talking about, I'll have to check afterwards to find out where you were sitting because I don't remember if he was, I was in the, the one game or not. But <laughs> Okay, I think he might have been a little lower, but I, you know, so there's at least two people saying that. And I did say at a time or two, um, on the broadcast, actually, I was going to try to get the producers to find one of those dunks because, or the shoulder shrug was something you could have put a side by side, and you could have, hey, that looks a little bit like Jordan's shoulder shrug, but like he did a couple times when he made, you know, a miraculous play. So uh, we won't make those comparisons. But <laughs> it's okay if fans do like to say that. Oh yeah. Um, so speaking of of the Pacers this year, um, I'm really excited about what they've done. Uh, as far as bringing in a, 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 like a guy like a Tyreek Evans, um, he's, I see him playing a big role kind of off the bench, uh, trying to complement that second squad, uh, giving them an explosive score. Um, what, do you, what do you feel about that Tyreek Evans' role will be? 
You know, I like it. If you look at the position the Pacers needed to probably improve, you could say, you know, the three. And when you had Boyan Bogdanovich, he exceeded my expectations for the most part last season. He had a few, you know, couple-week stretches where he would slump a little bit. But for the most part, I thought he did better than maybe I even thought he would do. Yeah. But you lost Glenn Robinson the third, and he really wasn't healthy for most of last season. So you needed someone who could be your backup three, but maybe he's someone who could finish the game as well. And I think they'll start the season with basically the same starting lineup. And then, you know, he's someone that can come in and play big minutes. And some nights he's your closer and he helps Victor Oladipo. And if you look at the free agents that were available or even the guys that were would seriously consider the Pacers, I'm not sure you could have found a better option. I, he does have a one-year contract, and he is someone who will play this season with something to prove. Mm-hmm. Haven't had a chance to really, you know, talk to him a lot and to get in, you know, his head to, to figure out his mindset. But as long as he's mentally into it and he blends well with this team that already has really good chemistry, I don't see how it's anything but a perfect fit. And and you just move forward, and and you think that he's someone. It maybe he grows, and maybe he's someone you want long term at that kind of position, but I do think he's not had a chance to play on really good teams before, and he'll relish that opportunity. So, kind of going to butt in real quick here, Jeremiah, because i got to ask. So I am, like we said, we're in that Cincinnati area, so I'm a big-time Xavier Musketeer fan. Big time. Okay. Obviously, D. West. I thought you were going to go Lance Stevenson's Cincinnati <laughs> area. But... No, no, that, that, that's later in the show. We'll get there. Okay. We'll get so, some Lance. D. West, obviously a great pacer for a long time, but I'm actually looking at Edmund Sumner. Um, okay. Obviously, the Pacers get him last year in a trade in the draft. Gets drafted originally by Nola coming over. Um, battled an ACL tear, which broke my heart as a Musketeer fan. So I'm happy to see he got a little time last year at Fort Wayne. So, Jeremiah, I'm going to ask you as a diehard Musketeer fan, tell me you've got good news for what I can expect from Emmett Sumner this year. Well, I have good news just in terms of just last week. I was at a, an event for season ticket holders, and Edmund was there, and I think this is a good sign. Not It doesn't necessarily translate to on the court, but when I, when I talked to Edmund a few different times during the course of last season, he just struck me as a very shy and kind of reserved guy that definitely felt like he was still trying to feel his way in professional basketball. And that was a, not the person that I saw last week. He was joking with fans. He was confident. You can just tell when someone you know is, is, is comfortable in their surroundings, and I saw that noted improvement. I know he's been working you know, quite a bit at the St. Vincent Center during the summer. Uh, basically, a lot of the first and second year guys are the ones that pretty much stayed in town. Most of the most of the veterans got away. They still got their work done, but I think it is good for them to kind of get away so then they're back fresh when the season starts. But I know he's been one who's been in the building as much as anyone. I think, by all accounts, the knee is, is close to 100%. And when the Pacers were able to acquire him, I think the thought was if he would have either not been injured or stayed in school, because I believe he still had another year of eligibility, years, correct? yeah. Yeah, so he, if he stayed in school, he might be a top 20, top 25 type of pick. And so you get him in the second round and you have time to develop him. I think that's one of the good things about the two-way contract. So I think he's still probably, uh, I think he's still on a two-way contract for this upcoming season. So I don't know that I would expect him to jump right into that third point guard role, even though that is open. But I think in practice, it'll be fascinating to watch he and maybe Aaron Holiday battle because Edmund's perspective would be there's no reason I'm not as good as Aaron Holiday. Now, mm-hmm. Aaron Holiday was drafted, you know, 22nd, 23rd overall. And so maybe that's what Edmund could have been drafted had he gone back to school. He chose to come out early. He's been under good care 
from the Pacers' uh, strength and conditioning staff, and their training staff is second to none in the NBA. So I think he's in good hands, and he's had time to kind of get ready. Now it'll be time to not just go to Fort Wayne and play, but if he's going to be something, he should be in Fort Wayne as you know one of their best you know one or two players. So that's what I'm looking forward to seeing. But um, I think it'll be interesting to watch, and he is someone I have my eye on this season. So in all these team previews, I've now been able to talk Trayvon Blewett, J.P. Mikira, and Edmund Sumner. I've accomplished everything I I want. I would say that I've done a few of these podcasts, and the second player asked about is not often Edmund Sumner, but we can (laughs) turn around a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, being a resident Xavier guy, he he tries to hit all all of the uh, the Xavier alumni uh in every interview so we don't have many so. yeah you guys going to say you, you know they're starting and you're losing a good one in david west so we'll be yeah, interesting sure. to see what he decides to do in his post-playing career i'm guessing he'll have a few options yeah. just just a few well I'm, I'm hoping he comes back and coaches for the pacers is what i'm hoping <laughs> you know what i mean uh, <laughs> well their coaching I'm, staff i mean speaking of stability you don't find that often uh to have a staff with as much stability as the pacers have had so there aren't any openings uh, right now, yeah. but you never know what what could happen, and I don't know exactly how everything ended when he left and left a lot of that money on the table to go to San Antonio. But I definitely hope he's a part of the organization, at least in terms of you know coming back. And I look forward to maybe you know hopefully in the future there could be some night that, that the team honors him because he was such an integral part of what the Pacers were able to accomplish there uh, four or five years ago. Absolutely. Uh, speaking of coaches, uh, Nate McMillan, our coach, just resigned. <laughs> <laughs> just resigned uh, on his deal. Uh, what is the feel of Nate McMillan and that in that team? I, you know, when you usually resign a coach, there's a pretty good feel. Do we? Do they feel like he's the guy that will be the one to get them over the hump uh, and get them into the Eastern Conference Finals into the finals? Well, I don't think there's any reason to think that they don't think that. I mean, you don't sign someone. You give him an opportunity, and you see what they've been able to accomplish in the first two seasons, and then you say, well, you give him another opportunity. I don't mm-hmm. think there's any way to think that they're going into this as, as he's a guy holding the spot for somebody else because of the experience he has in the NBA. And I think probably as important as anything is you know the importance of superstars. And he has a really good working relationship with Victor Oladipo and and not to say that there weren't flaws with maybe he or Frank Vogel with Paul George but at times I just didn't feel like Paul was buying into everything um, that he was being told and and I think that that maybe had a trickle-down effect on you know locker rooms and just kind of where things went Victor trusts Nate Nate trusts Victor so that's good to have your coach and your best player on the same page and if that works then Victor has the power to, to to lead a little bit and if, if Nate has to yell a little bit, he's not going to be second-guessed because if Victor buys in, then everyone else does. So, you know, I think it was important that you started talking about Oladipo, not just because of on the court, but the way he changed the attitude and the, the positivity, I guess. It, feathery is what he would say of the right. team last season. And I think Nate is someone who he talks a lot about being positive and bringing in the sunshine, but sometimes he can go the other direction and he can get after guys but I don't think it offends anyone, and it's not to the point where anyone gets upset if, if he gets after him. And so I think that's a, a really good mix, and it's not something that you shouldn't take for granted because there are some coaches, either they won't challenge players, or if they do, the players don't listen. But Nate's been there and done that as a player and a coach, so everyone, at least everyone in that locker room, listens and respects him. That's cool. So 
Jeremiah, I want to kind of ask a little bit about Nate Collison. Obviously, I mean, Darren Collison, sorry. Oof, Nate, different guys. Um, too many. Hey, Dave McMillan, point guard. Dave McMillan, point guard. There you go. Yeah, exactly. So, Darren is coming up now. This is going to be his final year in his contract, which is free agent year. Obviously, the Pacers had a chance to waive him by July 1st, mm-hmm. but they decided to give him that two mil. I totally get it. Absolutely. So. Free agent year, $10 million contract. Um, obviously, it was a really, really good player for you guys last year. Kind of made a lot of things happen. Really was a good, did a good job facilitating that team. But with guys like Victor Oladipo, Corey Joseph, and the aforementioned Aaron Holiday, let's say for some reason this all doesn't go well. Something happens, the Patriots go on a slump by February by the trade deadline. Could Darren Collison be a trade deadline casualty from the Indiana Pacers? Um, I, I guess it'd be impossible to know how... Um, what the results would be if things don't go well, because this team is sort of in place to to succeed. You know, last year they exceeded expectations, and so even when they had a little slump, everything was was kind of okay. But this isn't that. Even that group last year, that the fans, those outside, you know, the locker room, maybe didn't expect them to to, to play well. They did, and so once they had that success. There were some moments where guys were getting a little frustrated in, in early January when they lost, I think, five games in a row. So if that would happen, then you would say because of everything else that's in place, then then something would happen. But I wouldn't necessarily say that Darren would be the guy. Now, Kevin Pritchard um, is smart. He understands contracts and values. And I think he was thinking last season that he maybe would have uh, gotten rid of Al Jefferson or another guy maybe on a last year of his deal and, and tried to add a piece, but he had the ear of his players and they wanted to keep that thing together. And, and Kevin also understood the value of what Al Jefferson brought in terms of leadership. So um, it, it's really, it's impossible for to predict. And even from my perspective, being so close, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh yeah, they could trade Darren Collison. Uh, I think he has a lot of value from his experience and his leadership. But uh, if, if they are 500 in late January and knowing Kevin Pritchard's history of, you know, making moves and kind of taking advantage of situations and maybe opportunities, someone could go, you know, and I, and I would say that, you know, I think Darren, if he has another year, like he had last year, he'll earn the right to get another contract and, and who knows what that situation would be. But if you're projecting this team, when it reaches maybe it's full potential in three or four years, you know, maybe Darren isn't the starting point guard and it, it, that's not like a breaking news kind of thing. It's just kind of reality. And not that nothing that I would say, you know, to Darren necessarily, but nothing that, you know, wouldn't be unrealistic. So I, I think the Pacers are still maybe looking for who will be that point guard of the future, but they're pretty happy with the point guard of the present. And I don't think they go into the season saying, yeah, in February, you know, we're going to trade him. I, I, I just can't see that. Right. So every year there is a Twitter, social media, darling uh workout darling last year it was hoodie mellow everybody <laughs> fell in love with hoodie mellow oh he's gonna you know uh he's gonna take the okc over the hump this year it seems to be miles turner um i've seen miles turner in the you know on on twitter and his workouts um and his camps and, and things like that uh what is the feel what is the feel of the team about miles turner's um upside capability uh, where he has to be to get the Pacers uh, where they want to be? Well, I think Miles puts a lot of pressure on himself. And for the most part, that can be a good thing. At times, it can be um, it can be hard on a player. And I think he put a lot of pressure on himself last season to be that face of the franchise kind of guy and lead the team. And we had the concussion on opening night and then mm-hmm. missed 
uh, the next two or three weeks of the season. It really it really hampered his development, and then it just it was seemed like he was playing catch up the rest of the season, and then he would have some games where he didn't produce in terms of the box score, and I think he got frustrated. That said, he still at the end of the year had you know decent numbers. I think he would readily admit that he didn't play as well as he would like, but he you know I spent some time with him in Dallas, and I was at his camp, and I saw you know the workouts that he was doing, and in, many have seen because they have been readily shared on social media. I think that the natural reaction from a fan to see that after a season where they, you know, kind of wanted more is to say, oh, well, you know, you got to show it to me. I would say to the fans, let's give him a chance and let him show you because mm-hmm. with with the continuity and with the chemistry they have and with Victor back knowing what he is and, and kind of, I would say, a th- having three people to play two positions, Domas, Sabonis, mm-hmm. Thaddeus Young, and Miles Turner. Having those three guys back to play the, the four and the five, I, I think Miles is in position to succeed. He's done what he needs to do in terms of his body in the offseason. Now he's got to translate that to the court. You won't find a better big man shooter, I don't think, than Miles Turner. Everyone wants him to play a little bit better inside, be more of a back-to-the-basket presence. You know, that's not. I think that would help for him to pr- improve in that area. But it's not necessarily a, a necessity in the way the game's played right now, especially right. when you can mix him with Sabonis at times, who is a really good back-to-the-basket player. So yeah. I, I think it's natural for fans to kind of question, oh, yeah, he's doing yoga, he's doing exercises. <laughs> but I would just say he's going to go to training camp in the best shape that he's ever been, and that can only help. He's going to be confident because of, if nothing else, the, the surroundings, the teammates and, and, the, and this, you know, the continuity that he has. And he's just going to be confident. So let's see what happens. And he knows he's, it's a big year. I mean, it's pretty obvious. All you have to do is look at his contract and when he came in and guys in his draft class that are either mm-hmm. getting big deals or, you know, having teams hold off. He knows that he needs to produce not just for, for his pocketbook, but for the team to be successful. So uh, the biggest thing that I'll be watching is if he has a bad game that he doesn't get too hard on himself. And uh, that's where Victor, I think, helps out. So yeah. I don't know how much better he's going to be. I'm confident he will be much improved and that the, the workouts in the offseason will pay off. But you still got to see it, and you've got to kind of hold off for right now. Right. Uh, I'm looking forward, and I know you just mentioned it, but I'm looking forward to seeing a lineup where where Turner and Sabonis start on the floor together uh, with, with the different shooters, with McDermott, Oladipo, who can shoot the three, uh, Braganovich, who can shoot the three. Uh, I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing a uh, kind of a twin tower look out of them. Do uh, you think that's something that's you know that they would lean towards if they needed to, or, or is that something that they could work on? Or Well, my prediction is we will see it some, mm-hmm. but I also think that it'll be one of these storylines, and it happened last year and probably – you know, late November, early December, when Sabonis had a really good run when Miles was out, and then mm-hmm. Miles came back, and when he started to get healthy, it was the natural question from everyone. Well, you know, you can't take minutes away from Sabonis. You got to play these guys together. But right. people, um, you know, they can tend to underestimate and overlook what Thaddeus Young does. So oh, yeah. I think that they owe it to themselves to get Miles and Sabonis some more time together, so they know moving forward can those guys play together maybe it's Sabonis is really your five you know if he could be the offensive five and the defensive four Mm -hmm. and and Miles is more of a you know an offensive four but your rim protector as a five Mm -hmm. um you gotta you gotta try that but you can't just 
you can't try too hard to do that and sacrifice Thaddeus Young's minutes because I just I see it every single game, and I even see it in practice. And you know, I just think he he has such value. And we started calling him the glue guy, and I was going to try to get him an Elmer's uh, promotional uh, <laughs> well, yeah. deal at the end of the season because he just is he's that important. And especially if you have other guys that can score and be the numbers guys. Um, you watch Thaddeus play defense sometimes, how yeah. he's able to help, how he's able to get his hands on balls. And maybe sometimes if, if Miles is in the wrong place, it doesn't look as bad because Thaddeus is kind of helping him out a little bit. So yeah. uh, I really want to see those three guys play those two positions, and I think there will be enough minutes for all three of them uh, to do so. Absolutely. One of the names you actually kind of didn't mention here, which uh, I was kind of curious to hear your thoughts on there, was Kylo Quinn. Um, obviously he's a guy that's been in the league for a while. He's in his age 29 year of his career. Um, obviously, a guy's shown a lot of talent, but it's a guy who finally gets to play on a winning team. You know, he had a disastrous tenure in Orlando where they were just really bad. Goes to the Knicks for a little bit, and obviously, they're the Knicks. So, <laughs> bringing a guy like him, one on a one year contract for just a little over $4 million, I think is a bargain. But when Miles Turner needs to take a breather, you, could, you have far worse options out there than having Kylo Quinn come in and scoop some minutes up for him. Yeah, what you want out of that position is someone who, if he plays 20 minutes, great. And if he plays five, he's not going to pout about it. And I think that's kind of where O'Quinn probably starts this season. And you can just look back to, you know, last March and April. I really liked the acquisition of Trevor Booker, and I liked what he did. I think he had some shortcomings, and I would have been fine if they would have brought him back. But I think that maybe maybe that the team, you know, not speaking for them, but they viewed this as a, a little bit of an upgrade over Booker in terms of maybe, you know, O'Quinn maybe a little bit more of an offensive type of player and uh, maybe could do a little bit more. But there were some games that Booker played a lot, and there were some games that he didn't. And, you know, let's be honest, you're not going to go through a season without people getting injured. So, you know, when I said that I like the three guys playing the two positions, he obviously would be the fourth guy. And I think he's someone that you play part of that second unit when you have, you know, if you have a, an all-second fi- all unit five on the court, you know, he's out there. But maybe if in the second half you're not doing that, then maybe he's not. And that's kind of how I view him this year. I would have been happy to have Al Jefferson back, but I think mm. that just the way the game is in terms of, you know, pick and roll, defense, that's kind of one of the things that he wasn't as good at or they didn't have as much trust in him for that. So I think they felt like they couldn't just bring him back in that role where you needed him to play. If he was your 15th guy and he was strictly uh, you know, a Udonis Haslam type of guy right, that was right. just a chemistry guy, they maybe yeah. would have, but they needed something more out of that spot. And, you know, to be honest, if you look at the way everything happened, uh, you know, I'll bring Lance up just because I think he's yes. going to be, you know, the interesting person to watch going into the start of the season because he's the one guy that's not back. But I'm not sure that Lance Lance Stevenson, you know, it sounds like was told he would be offered the mid level once they got up to the cap. And if that would have happened, then, you know, you could make a case the mid-level that Kyle O'Quinn got wouldn't have been there. That would have gone to Lance, and then they might have brought back Booker or Jefferson. I mean, I don't know that for sure. It's just me reading the numbers saying, you know, that's kind of what makes sense. But um, if you think about it, you you don't have Lance, so you are able to have a guy like O'Quinn. It helps your front court. But I go back to Lance. If he comes back at the mid-level and they had acquired Tyreek Evans, which, you know, sounds like that was kind of their goal all along was Mm -hmm. to upgrade at that position. I'm not sure Lance would have been guaranteed minutes every night. And and that wouldn't have been a good situation. I don't think Lance would be the kind of guy that, um, and I've said this on our podcast, you know, he's not maybe the the guy you want 
um, as the 11th man sometimes and not playing because I, I just don't think he would handle that well. Yeah. So maybe Lance made the right decision for himself. He might play more in L.A. than he might even get to play or would have gotten to play for the Pacers. I, I won't. You know, I won't underestimate and I'll never, you know, let anyone say that, that Lance didn't bring value because I saw it at the end of, you know, two seasons ago mm-hmm. when he came on for the last six games. You know, without him, they don't make the playoffs. And he right. was only at 70% that time. So the energy he brought um, was valuable. But in terms of just, you know, on-court play, uh, they've upgraded, I think. And, oh, yeah. and that is a combination of having Tyreek and also having the ability then to have, you know, Quinn as your fourth big. All right. So, looking through your profile and kind of getting some research on you, I see you've been kind of working in the Indiana area as far as covering the Pacers probably since about '04. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, in a way, even before that, a little bit. I worked in Terre Haute uh, from '01 to '04, and we didn't cover the team as much, but we would come over, you know, a couple times a year and, and provide some coverage. But then, uh, starting in '04, I started working at Fox 59, and it was in the middle of that year. Uh, that was Reggie's last year. And so I covered the last time the Pacers played on Christmas. I was there when they played the Pistons. And obviously everybody knows that was a tumultuous season. I wasn't, (laughs) I wasn't covering them in November when certain things happened, but I was at the end of the year and was able to cover, (laughs) um, you know, Reggie's kind of final game and, and them honor Reggie. And then, uh, started doing some locker room interviews on the side for Fox sports Midwest or Fox sports, Indiana, um, you know, 2007, 8, 9, and then, uh, you know, since I've been uh, a producer for Fox Sports Indiana, and then this will be my fifth year uh, on the sidelines. So I have, you know, some pretty good perspective, and like I said, even grew up in the 90s, uh, sometimes just coming down to hang out outside Market Square Arena without a ticket just to, to soak up the atmosphere. So what I'm getting at with uh, with your tenure and how long you've been around, which is obviously extremely impressive, um, Jeremiah, you got to have a great Larry Bird story for us, right? You got to have one that's just a great top of the line Larry Bird story, right? <laughs> well, you know, I don't have that much. Uh, I, surprisingly, I don't have as much interactions with him because you know he was coaching, and that was a little bit before I started covering him. Oh, yeah. And then you know he's, you know, he's not one of those team presidents that, in the times that I was with the, covering the team, but not traveling as much that. You know, I'd have a, a chance to do as many interviews with. But, um, you know, I, I guess I'll share one story. Um, in the Pacers were in Atlanta, and it was the series where uh, they were the one seed and the Hawks were the eighth seed. And I think I have this correct in terms of the way everything went down. Uh, you know, Andrew Bynum was on the team. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think that Larry Bird really thought that Andrew Bynum was going to be um, it was going to be that guy that could kind of help the team, you know, get to that next step and maybe be a difference maker. And he just kind of fizzled out, and it yes. didn't really happen. And um, was, so the, the Pacers was awful. Bynum was yeah. awful. <laughs> and then he didn't even make it to the next series. I don't believe against no, the Wizards. He I didn't. think they kind of said, "All right, this isn't going to work, yeah. and it does, we don't need to have him around." So mm-hmm. he was with the team during the Hawks series. And it was game six that David West, you know, former Xavier Musketeer, basically saved the day mm-hmm. and, and got that series, you know, back to Indiana for, for game seven. So I don't know if it was game four or game six after the game, but I'm in the bus and I just kind of felt like it was it was kind of crazy. I was sitting there. Larry Bird was sitting one row in front of me and Andrew Bynum was like across the aisle. And I just kind of like I kind of took in that moment and I just kind of was like, wow, this is like so many worlds colliding mm-hmm. and uh you know not to share anything crazy but you know that it just kind of uh 
it was kind of a pinch me kind of moment um, just to be around the team and be that close. And, you know, I know how much Larry wanted the, the team to kind of win and to do it uh, while he was in charge. And he still has his footprint on this team and we still see him around. So I think if the Pacers can kind of make that next step, he's always wanted to kind of bring a championship back to Indiana, even from his Indiana State days. And I guess, you know, another is that, you know, I was in Terre Haute covering the Sycamores uh, when he was honored and had his number retired at the Holman Center. And that was a big thing for, for Terre Haute and Indiana State and it happened, you know, many years later than many would have thought. But they had, the two sides were able to get together. And I was a sideline reporter for the Indiana State game and got to interview him you know, during the game. And that's probably as nervous as I've ever been that day back in like 2002 or three, um, you know, when I got to interview Larry. So uh, I'm, you know, honored to be working for the same organization. Don't have as many great stories there, but, uh, you know, just look glad that he's still around. Absolutely. I mean, anytime you get a chance to sit down with Larry Legend, I mean, that's just being in his presence would probably be just awe-shocking in itself. So I always enjoyed, too, the press conferences, especially uh, when he had a few of the beat writers that he would like to need a little bit. Mike oh, Wells yeah. comes to mind. He would kind of come in and give him a little shot, or even Bob Kravitz, and a little playful banter I, I thought was always good. <laughs> That's awesome. So uh, I'm not going to let you get out of here without an over-under and a bold prediction. So uh, Vegas has the over-under for it. The Pacers wins at 47.5. What are your thoughts? Uh, you know, I, I think it's one of those things, and I've heard some other people say it, that the Pacers could be better this season than last season, but may not, you know, automatically win more games. Now, you won 48 uh, a season ago, and, and really, they had that goal of 50 that they were really shooting for. I think it's always good in the course of seasons to kind of set many goals, and I think when they got to the All-Star break, the goal was really, you know, to get a top-four seed, and, and that's something where I thought that if they could have had home court advantage in the first round. It would have been the ultimate, you know, proving everybody wrong kind of result. And they really should have. If if the Cavs and Sixers don't get hot the last couple of weeks, you know, both of them held the Pacers off. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Pacers would have been a top four seed. So I'm going to say over because I know that, you know, it makes me think back to March when, you know, people thought it was crazy that they could even say this. But I heard guys say, you know, let's try to get to 50. Let's win 50. And so to me... I, I don't think that they'll be content with anything less than 50. So that's kind of the number I'm, I'm thinking I'm, I'm seeing. You know, obviously the competition, you could say it's not as good in the Eastern Conference as it was just because uh, LeBron is gone. So maybe those Cavs games are okay. But the Pacers won, you know, three against. They or, they you know, they, they were able to, to compete during the regular season with LeBron. Boston's going to be much better. The Pacers split with Boston last year. Mm-hmm. I like the Pacers in a matchup head-to-head against the Sixers because I just think that they they can kind of play them. I think style-wise it's a good matchup for them. So thinking they can compete with those good teams in the East, I didn't mean to lump Cleveland in that category for next season. But <laughs> I'm going to say over just because I, I think that, you know, 50 is kind of a number that's kind of in my head even though we've yet to see training camp practices. And bold prediction, you know, the Pacers have kind of cornered the market on most improved players, right? Mm-hmm. I think they've had five uh and, and had Victor Oladipo last year. If Miles Turner is an all-star and can kind of be that, you know, rim protector and also offensive presence, and let's say he finished this season with averages of, you know, 22 and 14. I mean, I, that, that'd be tough, but those are kind of 
you know, Drummond like numbers and, and, you know, they're, they're not the same kind of player at all, but let's say he does that. Would he be most improved? Oh, absolutely. Uh, if, if he is 22 and 14, uh, you can write the ticket to the Eastern conference finals. <laughs> um, and you can, yeah, write, was, and you can go ahead and say 52 to 54 wins. Cause if he's yeah, that, off the top of my head, well, I was trying to think of what was a number that was realistic, but, and good, but not, you know, yeah. too crazy. So, you know, maybe, maybe more like 20 and 14. I, I, the that's, rebounding, I'd love to see his numbers get up. So yeah, maybe, would, maybe that's where I was a little, um, exaggerating, but he can be a 22 points per game scorer, absolutely. I think. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I think that the bold prediction will just say, you know, the Pacers have another most improved player and I won't say who, how about that? But I'll, I'll be thinking Miles Turner. Absolutely. <laughs> hey, that works. That works. Absolutely. Not Dougie McBuckets. <laughs> well, he could be improved. I'm just not sure he's he the, the, the level of improvement. <laughs> I'm going to give. Uh, I like the McDermott signing. I think he's the kind of player that you know it's really good to add, and uh, you know it's it's an easy comparison. And I'll be the probably 100 that it's made, it and I've already made it. But I, I don't know how he can on a good team be Kyle Korver. You know, um, they, the the Valley roots are there, but um, I, I just think that he if he can play enough defense and Korver. You know, isn't a great defender, but he actually, if you watch him sometimes, he he does better defensively than maybe he gets credit for. And right. and just from the shooting perspective, I know the Pacers invest heavily in the analytic department, and they're they were, you know, they were enamored with his catch and shoot three ability. And so you're going to have some chances with Victor that he can catch and shoot and and knock him down. So absolutely, he improved. I don't know that I'll go more improved. Right. So last question before we get you out of here, Jeremiah. You've been awesome. We definitely appreciate it. Thank so you. we. Here at 48 Minutes, are very fond of throwback NBA jerseys. We're what you call very nostalgic. Absolutely. And we're seeing a yeah. lot of teams announce a lot this year. We've seen the Magic are bringing back the blue pinstripes. The Hornets are bringing back the white classic with the teal, with the teal stripes. The Timberwolves are bringing back the Kevin Garnett era ones. What is it going to take for the Pacers to bring back those late 90s Reggie Miller, Jalen Rose pinstripe oh jerseys? Because we need them back. They're wonderful. They're great. It was a great era of Pacers basketball. What, who do we got a right to bring these back? Say the, 90, the 94, 95 Pacer pinstripes, I would, I would love to have that. Okay, so uh, what I would say is that being in Indiana, there is more of a push to make the Flojos permanent than I think to bring the pinstripes back. It's weird. I think the pinstripes, people either love them or hate them, mm-hmm. but there are people that don't like them. Um, I think that uh, it'd be good to kind of bring those back because they already brought the Flojos back, and I do know that you know, they're always evolving, and I don't I don't even know. I, I probably like the city uniforms as much as any last season, and I'm yeah. not sure that those are going to be back. So it wouldn't surprise me to see them go back into something like that. But, you know, it just – I feel like the Flojos are, you know, the they're at the top of the list of the favorite jerseys of the past. You, you guys disagree, I take it. I don't disagree, but I just – I want to – I'm a 90s guy, you know what I mean? So I like – those old school Reggie Miller, you know, pinstripe with the with the gold and the blue pin. Like I just I just love those jerseys for some reason. So yeah, I would just love to see those. All right, well I will pass that along. To, uh, <laughs> I was say, who <laughs> the people I mean, that matter because I don't have anything. <laughs> the hickory, the hickories are awesome. I'm glad there were like the, the white hickory, hickory ones. I think the white hickory. Yeah, ones I was going to ask you. That's the, the white. When hickory I mentioned ones love or hate, the hickories have kind of gone down that road as well. I don't. I, I think that now that they've been, I think, three years in and they did change from, you know, the maroon to the white, yeah. I think 
the novelty is wearing off a little bit, but you know, that's still, it's one of my favorite movies. So I'm not going to be the person who's going to be critical of them. I do like what they've been able to do in honoring, you know, Indiana basketball legends and it's helped our, you know, pregame and halftimes from a content perspective to have some of those legends come back. So I like the Hickory. I really liked what they did with those jerseys. You know, people love them when you could find a random Jimmy Chitwood Jersey before they actually made them as Pacers jerseys. So um, I like the Hickory. I like that they added the white ones last year. I think they're going to be sticking around for a little bit as well. Um, but but I do think that was a pretty cool thing they did. Yeah, the Hickory ones are really cool. I, I really like the white ones too. Well, I'll tell you this. Yeah. I'm kind of letting this out of the bag now. So we're going to be starting a show during the season called Hoop Cinema on our network. Where we're just okay. going to basically do a podcast where we break down, we review basketball movies. So when we do Hoosiers, you will get an <laughs> invite. All right, that sounds good. I, oh, I used yeah. to watch Hoosiers. Um, back from, you know, in Indiana, the high school tournament's still a big deal. And so when I was playing, I watched it, you know, sectional week and I continued that, uh, I would say even, you know, I've been out of high school for, uh, over 20 years now, but there aren't too many years that go by that when it's second week of March, I don't at least pop it in. And I can even remember, I think in, it was either last year or the year before we were in Milwaukee and had a day off sectional week. And I just said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to rent Hoosiers off of uh, the pay-per-view or maybe it was Netflix and I had to pay for it. But, uh, you know, I, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a movie that's not exactly like Mylan and it's not meant to be, but it certainly is a movie I enjoy watching. Absolutely. Well, Jeremiah, you've been incredible. You've been awesome. You've answered all of our questions. You've filled me on Edmund Sumner's progress, so I definitely <laughs> appreciate it. Um, so now what we do for our guests is we like to give you a chance to shout out your social media, your podcast, Anything you do online where the world can keep up with you, by all means, take the floor, man. Well, hopefully the social media and the Twitter account will be getting a little more active probably in the next two weeks. And I I still, you know, comment every once in a while in the summer, but I'm not one of these guys that just tends to just, you know, flood people's timelines. But when it's basketball season, we'll do a little bit more. I'm at JJFSIndiana, uh, JJFSIndiana, and then uh, do about a weekly in the season maybe every two or three weeks in the off-season podcast with uh, radio sideline reporter, and he also handles our post-game interviews on TV, Pat Boylan. It is called the Sideline Guys podcast, and you can find that on the Pacers' official uh, podcasting channel. So uh, Pacers Sound, I believe, you can search on iTunes or any of your podcast outlets. And we will, we'll, when the season starts, we definitely try to do that about once a week where we can kind of – you know, look back on what's happening, look ahead and, and share some insights and try to go behind the curtain a little bit and, and share some things that maybe people don't see from, you know, just watching the broadcasts or from reading, you know, the game recaps. So uh, I do think I, I show my age a little bit. I'm not on Instagram right now, but I said last season it was my goal to get an Instagram account up and going and I never did it. So <laughs> I, it's still I'm still thinking I might try to do that. And if I do, I'll definitely need some some additional followers or some people you know, oh, man, paying attention man. that, that that'll be Instagram my biggest worry is that I'll be an Instagram and no one will, no one will be following me. So, uh, uh, I'll let you guys know if I end up adding that. Hey, please do. We'll be your first couple followers. We'll get it, <laughs> we'll get it rolling for you. I need some tips on the stories and how to do it all. I, uh, <laughs> I got the Twitter down pat, but some of the Instagram, hey, I'm man, having a hard time. We're two hours away. We'll drive up and help you. We say. got your back. 
Okay. No doubt about <laughs> Sounds it. Sounds good. So this has been 48 Minutes, the Indiana Pacers team preview, where you can check all of our previous episodes out on 48minutesnetwork.com. You can also check our show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn, Alexa, iHeartRadio, and of course Spotify. Be sure to give us a five-star review and tell everyone how much you love us. On behalf of Ben Brown, this has been Tim Daniel. Thank you again to Jeremiah Johnson for talking to Pacers with us, and have a great rest of your night. Thanks, guys. Thank you.